Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Sound Heart. First of all, we want to give God thanks for the opportunity to meet with his people around his word. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and Son, Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Spirit. So we want to give God thanks for all of the great benefits that is the innumerable benefits that we have in Christ. They are beyond measure. Uh, and the P, uh, Paul tells us that in eternity future, throughout the endless ages, that, or uh, even more poignantly, as the ages topple upon one another, God shall continue to show or continue to open or to magnify or exemplify His grace to those who are members of the body of Christ. So we have an eternal relationship with them. So we, we are thankful, Father, for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave his all for us. Even though he was in the bosom of the Father, came here, rose himself in human flesh, ministered Lord, for those three or three and a half whether it's five. To Father died for our very Thank you for Jesus. So tonight's address is entitled Peter's Spirit Filled Mature Christology. Peter's Spirit Filled Mature Christology. I have always been fascinated by the ministry of Peter. And my fascination begins uh, in the book of John, in John chapter 1, when when Jesus uh, meets uh, Simon in chapter 1. I'm going to start in in John chapter 1 because uh, this is very pivotal to what we're going to study in 1 and 2 Peter. So I'm going to start at verse 35. Quote, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had to follow Jesus. The first thing Andrew did 
was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. So I want to stop there for a moment because this, this is a decisive event in the life of Simon. And notice the language that Jesus used. Jesus, uh, in this verse, says, you are. Then Jesus goes on to say, you will be. You are, you will be. And so Jesus looks at him and says, uh, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Ephes, which translated is Peter. So, and this, uh, this particular word is, is from the word Hypha, uh, and it means, uh, and it is a masculine noun, uh, and it means, uh, and the verb is Kepha, which means to bend or to bend down or bow down. It also means to be bent or bowed. So it also means hollow, arch, to dig out, or out, to hollow, to vault. Uh, and so Jesus meets Simon, and he gives him uh, he gives him a new name. He gives him a new identity. And so uh, this new name motif. Uh, represents a new beginning. Now, understand that when the one's encounter with Jesus is genuine or real, then uh, the individual is given a new destiny. Uh, The old things are passed away. In Pauline language, the old things literally means the old worn out things are passed away. That is, they're gone. They are no more. The old worn-out things are passed away. Behold, all things are new, ever to remain so. All things are new. There is a new beginning in Christ. All things are new. All things are fragrant. All, literally, all things are fresh to remain so. That is eternal life. That is what Peter has uh, now through his encounter with Jesus. Will there be uh, trials in Peter's life? Yes. Uh, Toward the end of his public ministry, Jesus said to Peter that Satan had asked to have him back. That's the literal language. Uh, Satan had asked to have him back. Uh, that is Peter back so that he could sift him. And then Jesus said to Peter, not that I'm not going to let Satan do what he wants to, but uh, you're going to be tested. And when you are turned, uh, when you come back, then you will strengthen the brethren. The language is very important for us to understand. God allows his things to be tried 
God allows trials. Trials are an inherent part of one's identity in Christ. And the book of Hebrews tells us as much. And we have to understand that uh, this is uh, this idea, this chastening, um, it is it is trial training. And this is what we read in Hebrews 12, verse 6, quote, Whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. And so uh, this is spiritual nurture that involves, uh, this is spiritual nurture involving discipline. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. And that word literally means uh, to flay or beat. So the picture here is that of a whip. Notice the strong language that's used in the word of God about our relationship with him and about what it takes to become mature in Christ. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now, you and I know uh, some of the events in Peter's life. And we know that, uh, that Peter denied the Lord. Peter uh, did not want Jesus to go to the cross. He said, for, for forbid it, Lord, uh, that, that such a thing would befall you. And, and Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You, and you were speaking in the Peter was speaking in the flesh. Why? Because Jesus said things that are of man. You want the way uh, of man. That is not the Father's way. Okay. Jesus embraced the Father's cup. Now we know what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we we read about Jesus. Uh, prayer because his heart was being tormented by what the cross would mean. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I will be done. Nevertheless, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and swerveth every son whom he receiveth. Every son. Now, in the Greek, that word every means Every, not some, not a few, every son whom he receiveth. If you endure sinning, God dealeth with you as with sons. We'll go back to the book of Genesis and read about the life of Joseph. Read it carefully. Now read about the events uh that happened uh, to the life of Joseph, what he endured. Uh, the psalmist says that the uh, talked about shackles that he wore on on the way to Egypt, and how being an iron uh, put iron in his soul. And, and why would Joseph need iron in his soul? Because God is going to use him in a mighty way. 
and God, when God would would bring greatness into the life of a believer, he so he brings discipline in his life so that the soul is not overtaken by arrogance, which would render the believer useless. When God brings discipline into our lives, he's preparing us for something greater so that we cannot say of ourselves, well, this is what my hand has done. This is what I have created. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar walked out on his balcony and he looked out and he said, this is my great Babylon that I have built. And then the watchers who watched him uh, decreed this is what will happen to him because his soul was filled with arrogance. There was no more humility in his soul. Remember what happened to the first king of Israel. Remember that Saul's soul was filled with, uh, he wanted the praise and the adulation of man. Not God, but man. And so uh, his soul was filled with lust. It was lust for power, lust for recognition. It was, and he went out and even built an, a monument to himself. And so we see the end, that this has no meaning. And so uh, if you endure chastening, God deals you as with sons. But what son is he of whom the Father chasteneth not? Now, Peter went through this. He went through chastening. And... Uh, uh, there was an event that Paul writes about in the book of Galatians where uh, Peter had taken the size of what? Of those, the, the Judaizers. And he was rebuked by Paul for taking the side of the Judaizers. And so Peter had his trial. It is important that we realize and understand the humanity of Peter, he was growing up in grace, and God drew him up, and God uh, used Peter mightily. And so uh, the apostle Peter was the most prominent disciple during the ministry of Jesus. And so he had a tremendous impact on the early church. And indeed, the first 12 chapters of Acts are devoted to his ministry and to the development of the church in the east where he was the dominant figure. And so Paul mentions him in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.12, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.22, 1 Corinthians 9.5, 1 Corinthians 15.5, and in Galatians 1.18, and Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, 11 and 14. And Peter wrote two New Testament books. The first letter that we're going to address briefly, and then in our next episode we will address Second Peter, was uh, written to the five Roman provinces in Asia Minor, or modern Turkey. And this letter was written to do what? To encourage the believers to endure the intense persecution that was prevalent in the area and to prepare the readers for the difficult times ahead of them. Once again, 1 Peter was written to encourage the believers to endure. Remember I just read from the book of Hebrews. If you endure what? 
if you endure. So to endure the intense persecution that was prevalent in the area and to prepare the reeds for the difficult times ahead of them. The first empire-wide persecution of Christians happened in AD 249 under the emperor Theseus. So up to his time, there were local persecutions that were quite severe. Now, uh, notice uh, how the world views real believers. The world sees real believers as the enemy. Why? Because Christians steal from them? No. That Christians paid their tax. <coughs> what? Well, Christians did not uphold their civic responsibilities? Well, in fact, they did uphold their civic responsibilities, but they would not join in their idolatrous lifestyle. This was an affront. This was an offense to these individuals. And so uh, they sought to destroy uh, believers. Now, there was a particular case in the second century in Bithynia, and this was one of the provinces to which Peter wrote it, and that's 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. So uh, a letter had was sent to Pliny, the governor of Bithynia, uh, to the Roman emperor Trajan. And in AD 112, he explained that he had been executing people who confessed that they were Christians. Now, this hidden, this, uh, this truth uh, has largely been hidden from some people in the Western Church. The Western Church is very different. And uh, discipleship in the Western Church at one time was taken seriously, and uh, to follow Jesus meant what? To take up the cross and follow Jesus. Uh, what does that mean? Well, only condemned the condemned one, condemned criminals, those who had, who had been condemned of capital crimes would be what? Would be crucified. And uh, crucifixion was reserved uh, for those who were non-Roman citizens. Roman citizens uh, were executed by beheading or decapitation for capital uh, crimes. Uh, torture, murder, uh, Crucifixion was reserved for non-Roman citizens. So, uh, and Trajan, the uh, Emperor Trajan, uh, approved of Pliny's policy, and but he instructed him to set free those Christians who would renounce their faith and worship the Roman, the Roman god. So, do you see what this is about? Now. Uh, we believe that First Peter was written in the 1860s. So uh, it was later that uh, persecution of that would that would be most severe was yet to come. And Peter uses Jesus' own suffering, okay, as the cornerstone of his teaching. Peter admonished believers to suffer as Christians, not as law breakers. So when I speak about 
Peter's spirit-filled, mature Christology, note that it is Christ-centered. Period. And it, he, in, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 3, Peter states, quote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again and again unto a living hope by the, re- the resurrection of Jesus Christ out from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fate is not a way reserved in heaven for you. Uh, this inheritance that we receive and write it to, uh, to the book of Hebrews speaks about our inheritance. It can't be reserved for us down here. This is the this is the cosmic system. This uh, this world, this cosmic system, is already condemned. It is condemned, and Peter knows it. Peter once walked according to uh, uh, the course of this age, as many of us did. We walked according to the course of this age, but then in Pauline theology, Paul. Speaks about what the, uh, the past and the present, but Paul Paul uses the word many the Greek words many days, n u n i, and day d e i. He speaks about the past and what is now. Paul will also speak about the already, what we have now, and the not yet. So. These are the theological imperatives of these great and unparalleled Bible theologians. They are not preachers. These men had a living relationship with the Christ. So uh, he says that in verse 5, who are kept? Who are kept? And this word here, uh, kept, means deliverance. And so deliverance, who are kept by the power of God. Deliverance is the goal of the process and final salvation. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, now, though now for a season as need be, Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Now notice, the, in verse 6, as, as you may hear my granddaughter in the background, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness throughout manifold uh, temptation. So, uh, I won't have time to get into some of the Greek words, but that through the verse seven, that through the trial of that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Paul writes that. We, uh, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Things not seen are eternal. 
Peter says the same thing about believers here. And notice that the trial of your faith, that is the testing of your faith, being much more precious than a bull that perisheth. The trial of your faith. Notice the language, the trial of your faith, the trial of your individual faith. being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Listen, this world, this cosmic system, does not want Jesus to appear. Because when Jesus appears, this cosmic system knows that it is the day of judgment. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the day of Christ. Also in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the day of man. It is not translated from the Greek into the English as day of man. It is the day of anthropos that Paul writes about. Paul does not call this time day in which you and I live, does not call it the church age. Neither does Peter, neither does Jude, neither does John. No New Testament writer talks about the church age. This is the day of Anthropos, the day of man. Okay, remember uh, that uh, Daniel speaks about the times of the Gentiles. And the, the times of the Gentiles began with whom? King Nebuchadnezzar. And Jesus will bring to an end the times of the Gentiles. Jesus will close he will cut off the day of man. Then the tribulation begins after the day of Antipas, the day of man. And Paul talks about the day of Christ. The day of Christ comes after the day of man. It is the day of our Lord of glory, the day of the Prince of glory, the day of, and it is Jesus who receives the scroll in the throne room, of, uh, throne room of heaven, he takes the scroll. John uh, wept because no man was no one was found worthy to take up the scroll. But Jesus stepped forth, and Jesus took up the scroll, and Jesus began to break the seals. Only he was worthy. He was worthy. Only he is worthy. Jesus orchestrates. Uh, with divine precision, every event that is strategically timed during the tribulation. Jesus starts the tribulation. Jesus orchestrates the tribulation. Jesus ends the tribulation. He will come with his saints, and he, he will meet his enemies in the valley of Megiddo. We say Har Megiddo. He will meet them there and uh, read Psalm 2. Uh, There are those who say, let us throw off uh, God. Let let us declare our freedom. And then the psalmist says, he who sits in the heavens will laugh. This is the absurdity. This is the madness. This is the malice uh, of unrepentant hearts toward God. Then the Bible tells us, that Jesus will destroy the Antichrist with the glory of his appearing. 
he will destroy him. The purity, freshness, the unimaginable light of the coming of the glory of God. And so we look forward with great anticipation to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who will what? He will, he's going to snatch us out of the causal system, not just up and out of it, and then we shall ever be with the Lord. But that rapture event precedes the second coming when Jesus comes to meet his enemy in, uh, in the valley of Megiddo. So the next great event we look forward to as saints is the snatching out of the church out of the cosmic system. So, beloved, in your hearts, in your thoughts, in your lives, in your minds, walk by faith, not by sight. Pray, praise, and keep on growing, keep on going. Keep on doing the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not in vain. Keep on growing and keep on believing. Keep on knowing that you belong to him, that is Jesus, that he belongs to you. Good evening, and God bless you.